In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was shrouded in darkness, formless, shapeless, empty and lifeless. It needed a spark to bring light to the dark, to separate the day from the night. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Years later, Israel escapes in the middle of the night. A nation takes flight, a cloud above them, Moses to lead them. They walk to freedom. But although they are free, it is dark. They cannot see. The armies of Egypt are chasing as they flee. Oh God, they cry, won't you lift your name up high? Send a pillar of fire to light up the sky. Come down and separate the wrong from the right, the merciless slavers from the slaves taking flight. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Centuries later, it's dark once again. The priests are corrupt, the Romans in charge, and the nation enthralled to deceitful men. But then, just when things are marred in gloom, God speaks to a teenager and opens her womb with a promise of hope that will empty the tomb. Nine months later, it's the middle of the night, but Bethlehem's sky is blazing bright. God hasn't come with a pillar of fire. It's a heavenly choir from the east to the west, singing, God sends peace to his people who are blessed. Glory to God and Hosanna in the highest. And God says, let there be light. And there was light. We still need God to make all things right, to spark songs in the night and put darkness to flight. But every sunrise, there's a sign in the skies that the light of the world still has mercy in his eyes. And when God says, let there be light, there is light. Most often, opposites are fairly evenly matched. I want you to think of those movies that Hollywood makes time and time again that pit good versus evil. And there's always a fairly fair fight right until the end but Hollywood seems to always demand that good triumphs over evil. Although, I was thinking about it this week, there are a couple of exceptions. I can think of Marvel's Infinity War, where Thanos snaps his fingers and half of the universe goes up in smoke. Or uh, Star Wars Episode Three: The Revenge of the Sith, where Anakin Skywalker eventually succumbs to the dark side. However, both of those movies are not necessarily good illustrations because... If you know the Infinity War movie and Star Wars, the next movie that follows restores the Hollywood pecking order of good overcoming evil. But there is one movie that I can think of that upstages the, that, that upturns the Hollywood apple cart, and you may or may not know this movie, but The Unusual Suspects. And if you've seen that movie, you'll know that it ends with criminal mastermind Kaiser Sosa walking out of the police station uh, climbing into his car and driving away, and his voiceover says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he does not exist. And by the way, if you haven't seen any of those three movies, I, I can't really apologize for giving away the ending, because the moratorium on not spoiling those endings has, has long disappeared. So remember, I'm talking about opposites being fairly evenly matched. Another example might be wealth and poverty. Wealth hasn't conquered poverty in its entirety, and poverty hasn't destroyed wealth. I, I could go on with so many other examples, joy and sorrow, war and peace, disease and medicine. When opposites clash, we can't always be certain which one will prevail. And that's true in nearly every single case except for one, 
and that is light and darkness. Darkness has never, nor will it ever, overcome light. You walk into a dark room and you turn on a switch and immediately darkness disappears. You stand on a hill on a dark, clear night holding nothing but a candle and that light will be seen for miles away. I'll never forget the first time I went up into Malawi and stood in the bush, in a clearing in the bush on a, on a dark, clear night and I saw the sky as it was meant to be. No amount of darkness will ever drown out light. And so when John writes in his gospel message in chapter one that the light shines in the darkness, but darkness has not overcome it, he's actually stating the obvious. Of course darkness hasn't overcome light. It can't. Of the many things that we celebrate over Christmas, I think exchanging gifts is probably one of my absolute favorites. And, and that's essentially what our Christmas series is about. It's called the, the Gift Exchange, and it was started last Sunday. And essentially what we're talking about is God, through the power and the presence of Jesus, giving us the gift of eternal and everlasting life, the gift of intimacy with Him in exchange for everything that holds us back and keeps us down. And so it's His gift of life in exchange for our certain death, His gift of salvation in exchange for sin, His gift of closeness in exchange for everything that would separate us from Him, His healing for our sickness, His wholeness for our brokenness, His freedom for our addiction, and as Griffin taught so wonderfully last Sunday, His family in exchange for our loneliness. And what I want to talk about just very briefly today is about darkness being exchanged with the gift of God's everlasting light. Let me ask you a question. What is light for you? Now, that's not meant to be some existential question. I'm actually asking very practically. If darkness represents all that is difficult and all that is despairing and discouraging and overwhelming and frustrating and challenging, if that's what darkness is, then what is your light? What do you or who do you turn to to find comfort and joy and encouragement and hope? This idea of light overcoming darkness is obviously a biblical idea. We, if, you, if you know the Bible, you, you start in the very first chapter of the Bible, in the very first two verses, where God talks about light and darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And into that darkness, we know that God said, let there be light. But light overcoming darkness is not just a biblical concept. It's, it's very much found in culture. It's a cultural narrative as well. Think of yin and yang that comes from Chinese philosophy that has been adopted into Western culture, this, this tension between light and dark. Or, or think of certain religions that encourage people to pursue enlightenment or to, to step into illumination. And if you know your history really well, you probably might be able to remember the age of enlightenment, where the pursuit of human knowledge and human reasoning apparently saved 17th and 18th century Europe from the darkness of human ignorance. 
There are so many narratives, both, both true and fictional, that have this darkness to light arc to them. And the turning point of every single one of those narratives is the breaking in of light. We, we've even been using light and darkness to describe the COVID pandemic that we're currently in, speaking about how dark things have been, but there is light at the end of the tunnel when things will hopefully eventually return to normal. So what is light for you? What do you turn to or who do you put your hope in to, to drown out the darkness and the discouragement and the despair? And, and the answer to that question obviously depends on what you consider darkness to be. If you think darkness is, is nothing more than just human ignorance, then the, the, the light of human reason, reasoning and understanding will suffice. But that's an understatement of how dark darkness actually is. No matter how much knowledge we have, no matter how much wisdom or ingenuity or, or money or friends or, or stuff that we have, the world is still a, a very dark and difficult place. And, and the realization of both the scope and the size of darkness, I think, should stir us to search for a light that is, that is big enough to not only pierce the darkness, but ultimately to overcome it. I would put it to all of us here today that the Bible and the Bible alone presents the most comprehensive description of what darkness is and therefore the light that we need to overcome it. Darkness is way, way bigger than just human ignorance or, or poverty or a lack of spiritual awareness or a global health crisis as tragic as it has been or, or, or is. The, the world is dark. We are in darkness because the world contains death. Spiritual death, meaning separation from God because of our self-reliance and our sin, as well as physical death. And we need rescue from this darkness that is far greater than we perhaps care to admit. But into this darkness, God says, let there be light. And there is light. Friends, the Christmas story is not just a sentimental tale, but it is the truth of God breaking into and overcoming and drowning out the darkness of the world by sending the light of the world, by sending his son, Jesus, to, to destroy death, both the physical death and the spiritual death, the separation from God, and to restore us into relationship with his, with our heavenly Father. We need God to break into our world and to overcome the darkness within our hearts by shining the light of his presence so that we can be restored back into relationship with him. And God does this through his son, Jesus Christ. And we need God. We need God to carry the darkness because it is far too overwhelming and far too much for us to bear. And again, God does this through sending his son, Jesus Christ. And what I've just described to you is the, is the Christian gospel. Jesus, God, in human form, being born as one of us and living on earth as one of us and going through everything that we have gone through and taking the darkness of the world upon himself all the way to the cross and eventually destroying and breaking that darkness when he was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. And in that moment, friends, darkness turned to light and death turned to everlasting light, life, 
Which is why John writes in in John chapter one, he says this, what came into existence was life. And life was light by which we live. The light life blazed out of the darkness and the darkness couldn't put it out. So friends, the Christmas story is about darkness being exchanged with God's light through the person of Jesus Christ. And as we've sung already, and as we've heard already from the scripture readings, God's light comes to us through Jesus, and Jesus who's been given the name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Nathan's already read this passage, but I'm going to read it again, this passage from Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah the prophet prophesying the coming of a light hundreds of years before Jesus arrived on earth. And he says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then he says this, this is how the light comes. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Think about that. He is Wonderful Counselor, greater than any human counselor that has ever existed, knowing the answer to every question and and having infinite wisdom on every perplexing situation. He will be called Mighty God. He's our conquering King. His name is the name above every name. He will be called Everlasting Father. Not the never lasting fathers that this world is full of. And he will be called Prince of Peace. What typically divides us no longer has to when we submit and surrender ourselves to Jesus. And and friends, God loves to bring his glory. God loves to bring his victory. God loves to bring his rescue and his salvation in ways that we do not expect. Where does this light that breaks into darkness come from? It, it, It comes from the most unexpected places. It comes from a son, God's son, born not into a comfortable home, but born into an animal feeding trough, born not into a wealthy family or even a middle-class family, but born into poverty, born not surrounded by heads of state, but surrounded by shepherds, born to an unwed teenage peasant girl. Don't miss the work that God, don't miss the work of God that rescues us because it does not come as we would expect. The Bible teaches that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the the weak things to shame the strong. He chose the the lowly and despised things, the things that are not, to, to nullify the things that were. I'll say it again, don't miss God's work of rescue in our lives because it doesn't come in the way that we would expect. And how does the book of Isaiah tell us that we are to receive this light that breaks into darkness? How are we to receive the gift of Jesus? It tells us in that passage, we are to receive Jesus, we are to receive the gift of salvation by grace. It's not just a son is born, it tells us that a son is is given, he is given as a gift. I want you to imagine on Christmas morning, you receive the gift of a gym membership from somebody. I'm not sure personally how I would take that. But then imagine after opening up the gift of a gym membership, right afterwards, you you open up the next gift, which is a book on how to win friends and influence people. And there there are only two ways to take those two gifts. 
either you dismiss them both as meaningless and offensive, or you swallow your pride and you say thank you, and quietly you say to yourself, you're right, or they're right. I I am actually lazy and a little obnoxious. The, the point I'm trying to make is that you can't receive those gifts and you can't admit and you can't acknowledge thankfulness without uh, admitting something about yourself that you'd rather not. Friends, there's never been a gift offered that makes me or that makes you swallow your pride more than the gift of Jesus given to the world at Christmas. If God, the the God who created the heavens and the earth, had to come to earth as one of us and had to suffer to the extent that Jesus suffered all to rescue us, can I say it communicates to us that we are not in a good place and that pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps is not going to suffice. And so I would put it to you that we need to ask ourselves this question, am I willing to swallow my pride and admit that I'm in need of a savior? And am I willing to surrender my whole life to the one who knows me and loves me infinitely more than I love myself? Christmas is about darkness being exchanged with God's light through Jesus Christ. And and in Luke's gospel, again, we read some of those verses. In Luke's gospel, it tells us that God's light is available to everyone. In Luke chapter two, he, he tells us that while the shepherds were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night in darkness, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This might've been practically true. The fact that the shepherds were outside of the city, they were alone, they were in darkness looking after their sheep. But let me tell you, that was true culturally of shepherds in, in that time. They were outcasts. They were the lowest of the low. But into that night, into that darkness, the light of God's glory broke in. And friends, I want to tell us that there is no night, there is no darkness that is too dark for the glory of God to to not be able to break in. And this is what the shepherd, this is what the angel promised the shepherd when that light broke in. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. I find it so comforting that God's light can break into any situation of darkness. But can I tell you that I find it equally comforting that he understands my situation? And that he understands my my darkness. He understands because he has suffered. He he knows what it is like to be in in your situation and in mine, no matter what it is. I I can't answer the question as to why God uh, has not stopped evil and suffering. But I know it's not because he doesn't love us. He loves us so much that he's willing to be infinitely involved in our lives. And to go through every unthinkable horror that you or I have, have gone through and, and to suffer even more. He, he's gone through every human experience. The trivial irritations of family life, the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors and pain of humiliation and defeat and despair, even death. He was born into poverty and obscurity and he suffered infinite pain and he did it all for us. In Psalm 62, David 
writes this incredible song of how he was experiencing darkness, which stripped him away of absolutely everything that he had. And he was left with one thing. He was left with the light of knowing God's character. He ends Psalm 62 by saying this, you, O Lord, are strong, and you, O Lord, are loving. Friends, God's light illuminates what we absolutely need to know. In David's case, it was the love and the strength of the Lord. In the shepherd's case, it was the good news that will cause great joy for all people. And the angel goes on to say, today in Bethlehem, this is what The angel wanted to illuminate, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah and the Lord. If you carry on reading in that passage in Luke chapter two, I love how it resolves. It talks about the shepherds going to discover what the angel spoke about, and they went empty-handed, had nothing to bring. But it tells us that they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Is God's light illuminating something in your life that he wants you to know? And if you're not sure, at least know this, that there is no night, there is no situation too dark that the glory of God cannot break into. Christmas is about darkness being exchanged with God's light through Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 2, towards the end of that passage that we read a little earlier, there's a man called Simeon who had received a promise from God that he would see the Messiah, that he would see the Savior of the world before he died. But as he waited, as days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and months into years. There's, there's no doubt in the midst of that expectation and, and hope, there were moments, maybe even months of uncertainty and doubt. While waiting, I suspect Simeon experienced some of what we do at times, that feeling of being overlooked, perhaps feeling like you've been forgotten. Certain, the, certainly, he was full of questions, but, but the moment He laid eyes on Jesus. All of those questions, all of that that doubt disappeared. This this is what he says in, in verse 29 of Luke 2. Sovereign Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Listen to this, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Interestingly enough, Simeon's name means God has heard. Some of you need to hear that today. God has heard. You are not overlooked. And God has not forgotten you. As you wait for what seems like forever in a place of what feels like darkness, you need to know that God has heard the cry of your heart and the prayer and longing that you've expressed, although you may not have told anyone about it. But God has not only just heard, through the waiting, he reveals his grace and his favor. Interestingly enough, there's a second character that is introduced into that narrative, and it's the prophetess Anna. And Anna's name means grace 
and favor. What is the takeaway? In Jesus, Simeon and Anna come together. In Jesus, God not only hears, but he also makes his grace and favor known. And right now, for some of you, things might seem dark. You might have more questions than you have answers for. You might not see any light at the end of the tunnel, but but I want you to know this, and I know this to be true, not because only is it spoken of in God's word, but I've walked this road many times, as have many of you. You look back, and you will realize that God's light was shining all along, because no amount of darkness can snuff it out. God was listening And God will make his grace and favor known to you in every situation. God has not forgotten you. God has not overlooked you. God will not fail you. He is faithful to his word. And he will finish the work that he started. He will ensure fruitfulness in your life. And he is faithful to his promises. If you're here today and you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling forgotten, maybe you're full of questions, I wanna encourage you, Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him and remember that Christmas is about darkness being exchanged with God's light through Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter one, we are told that God is light. In other words, that God is invincible. It is impossible for his light to be diluted or drowned out by darkness. And I wanna tell us all, if you want the kind of life that cannot be overcome by death, life in its fullness, life in its entirety, then the light of the world is the person to whom you need to look. Jesus says this of himself in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. God is glorious, permanent and invincible light. And when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. When God says, let there be light, there is light. And so let me end this morning by asking you that question that I asked at the beginning. Who or what is your light? Who or what is your light? Can I get the worship team up, Aiden, if you wouldn't mind? I want you just to think about that for a moment. Who or what is your light? Sheetal, would you mind coming and sharing that word? Sheetal came to me during the worship time and, and had a word that I think is relevant to, to share. In um, Exodus 19, God comes down on Mount Sinai to speak to Moses, and he comes down by setting the entire mountain on fire. And he speaks, and he speaks through thunder. And the entire mountain shakes and trembles, and the people are fearful. And that was just such an incredible representation of the power of this God who comes down to shake a mountain and set it on fire. And Steve has just shared with us incredibly about how Jesus came down as God in the form of a helpless baby. And he came down because of the love of a father. Perhaps you know of God as the God who shakes a mountain, who is powerful, who is something to be feared, but you don't know of a God who comes with sacrificial love. And our God is both. Jesus embodies the power that shakes a mountain and raises people from the dead, but the love that would sacrifice his own life. And I just felt that there might be some here today who might be asking the question, why is this God different? Why are you different from any other religion out there? It's because of those two things. It's a God of power, 
but a God of infinite sacrificial love. And he wants to show us and reveal to us that he is both infinitely powerful and eternally loving. I think we need to respond to that word this morning. I'm gonna ask you if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes for a moment. Just before we kind of rush on to the next song, I think it's imperative for us, essential for us to respond in some way to, to what God is clearly doing in this place today. Maybe you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you haven't surrendered your life to Him. I mentioned earlier that it does require us to swallow our pride and to acknowledge that Jesus is the one, is God, who came to live as one of us, who came to, to, to suffer and, and go through all that we have gone through, but He took all of that darkness to the cross and overcame it when he was raised from the dead three days later. The Bible doesn't demand that we sort our life out and fix everything in order for us to be acceptable by God. The Bible invites us to come just as we are, to come just as we are, broken, scarred, and, uh, 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 not clear, not, not certain of, of all the things we've gone through or will one day go through, but with this in our hearts, God, I put my trust and faith in your son, in who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross.